make sure I'm pushing all the right buttons. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Peter. And uh, boy, I, I have been trying my best to do what is called expository preaching. Just for the past, this is the third Sunday in a row. Of course, always, I do expository. That means you expose a scripture. You break down, you go to a certain text, you open it up, you read through that text, you try not to venture away from that text, and you just dissect it, and you, uh, you share what God's Word has to say more than what, what you think. Uh, and that's hard to do for pastors. Because, you know, the, the Word of God, of course, when you talk about dissecting it, what you're talking about is breaking it down, exposing what it, what it means behind just the words. And when you try to do that just strictly from Scripture without, you know, working for the past week and uh, putting it all on paper, point one, point two, point three, and all of those things and trying to tie it all together, and just just bathe your mind in the Scripture and then speak to it and let, let God say what God wants to say. That's, a, that's not easy to do. But uh, I've been trying, so you bear with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. And uh, I don't even have a title for the message other than 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. And it reads like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered abroad or scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope and the re- of, by the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity just to be here in your house with your word, with your people. God, we realize that the preeminent word there in that sentence is you and your. God, it's not about us. This is about you and who you are and what you've done. God, what you're doing and what you're going to do in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives. God, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we put our faith and our confidence, our trust in you. 
We ask you to be with us here this morning. Open our hearts, our minds. Give us wisdom and clarity, understanding, God, that we might receive not only your word, but God, that we might receive you into our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives. God, our nation needs you so badly right now. Won't you have mercy on us and we'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what I want to do is just back up. We're going to go back over those verses. We're going to dissect it, just read through it a little more slowly. Pick out some of the words and see what they mean and what it is that God has for us. In verse 1, of course, we realize that the, uh, the, uh, the epistle, epistle of, of Peter was written by Peter. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers. Now, most of us understand and know that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Uh, God called Paul the apostle to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he went made three missionary trips all over the country, planting churches, planting the seed of the gospel, and winning the lost to Christ, and building churches, and going on and leaving those behind with a pastor and people in, in play to, to make sure that the church was strong. He stayed... Uh, I think it was uh, three and a half years at the church of Ephesus. He stayed there longer than he stayed anywhere else. But God, he would always go into a town. He would go into the synagogue because he was a Jew and there was still Judaism being practiced. He wanted to be faithful to God. He would go in the synagogue and he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a Jewish synagogue. They would reject that. And he would use that as a springboard into the community. He would go out into the streets and, and preach the gospel to everywhere. You would expect that from the Apostle Paul, but not from the Apostle uh, uh, Peter, because he was the Gentile to the Jews. And it says that he's writing, not only does he, he preach to the Jews, but he's writing this epistle to the strangers that are scattered abroad in these Gentile cities. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he calls them, I want you to realize what his next words are, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now that, that one sentence says enough to, to be preached on for the rest of the time that I have. But I'm, I've got too much other stuff here that I want to share. But certainly, when we talk about elect, we're not talking about us electing God, but a God electing us. And when Peter, the apostle to the Jews, are going to the Gentiles and calling them the elect of God. You remember in the Old Testament that the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, they were the chosen people. They were the elect of God. But now even the apostle Peter that is writing a letter and telling the Jews that they too are the Chosen, They too are the elect of God. Elect according to the foreknowledge. Now that word foreknowledge, when we, we look at that, we think, well, foreknowledge is like looking into your crystal ball and you can see ahead in time what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, I said in my prayer a while ago, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and that is God. You see, God doesn't look ahead in time and wait to see what we're going to do in order to respond to us. But God moves ahead in time. And that foreknowledge simply means for love. It's not a head knowledge of the facts, but it's a heart knowledge of the people. Remember, they are the elect of God. And He doesn't know something foreknow something about them, but He's saying that I foreknow them. 
that I have an intimate love relationship. You remember in Genesis chapter uh, 4, I believe it is, where it says, or chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Well, what does that word mean? To know. Adam knew Eve. It means to have an intimate love relationship that resulted in a new birth. And God is saying to us today that if by grace through faith we'll receive Him as Lord and Savior, He has foreknown us before the foundation of the world. He had an intimate love relationship with us before the foundation of the world that ultimately ends in a new birth. Our birth being born again. So God had chosen the nations of the Gentiles from before the foundation of the world to be saved. Elect according to the forelove of God the Father through sanctification. There's another $2.38 word. Sanctification simply means to be set apart. God chose us or elected us according to His love before the foundation of the world through sanctification. What does that mean? Well, that He set us apart in His heart and in His mind. We are already set apart by the, by the power of God, for the glory of God, right here at this moment, at this time. It says, through sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God reaches into our hearts, illuminates our minds, regenerates our souls, and draws us to Himself and sets us apart for the glory and honor of God. There's two types of sanctification. That is practical and positional. Practically, we set ourselves apart for the glory of God once we are saved. God moves in our heart, illuminates our mind, regenerates our souls, and draws us to Himself. And when He does that, He has set us. That's positional. He has set us apart for His glory and His honor. Now that He moved in my life and set me apart, now He expects me to set myself apart for His glory through sanctification of the spirits, uh, Spirit. And what did He set me apart for? Well, it says in that next verse, verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. Now, you know, when you get to obedience, that is a doctrine, by the way. Doctrine is just a teaching. Some people say, I don't like doctrine. It uh, gets in the way of my religion. And uh, I'm saying that religiosity is going to leave you right where it found you lost but it is only knowing the word of god knowing the doctrine knowing the teachings of the word of god and then surrendering our hearts and our lives to the lordship of jesus christ that that sanctification positional and practical can actually take place but once that happens then obedience is not optional I want you to realize that because the Holy Spirit of God has set us apart and now we set ourselves apart positionally and practically, then that obedience is a natural outflowing of an inward filling of the Holy Spirit. He that hath not the Spirit of God is none of His. But he that hath the Spirit of God, oh wait a minute, really it's more like he whom the Spirit of God hath. See, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, all right? And how much of Him do you get? All of Him. He's a person. You don't get an ear and a leg and then later get a foot and an eye. You get all of Him. He's a person. He comes to take up residence on the inside of you. And all things pass away. All things are new. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, if that's true, then what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Well, I'm glad you asked. See, filling of the Spirit doesn't mean you get more and more and more of Him until you're filled. Filling of the Spirit means that He gets more 
of you until He has every ounce, every inch, every fiber of your being, your heart, your mind, your soul, your body, everything that you are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So when you look at it and understand what this is talking about, it says that we are the elect chosen by God from the foundation of the world based upon His foreknowledge or His love of us through Him setting us apart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, excuse me. By the Holy Spirit setting us apart for His glory and His honor. And now we are to set ourselves apart unto obedience, which God hath before ordained. Those are those good works in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10 that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, or unto obedience, living the life that God has called us to live. So, we are the elect, the chosen of God, by the love of God, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, and unto the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that sprinkling of the blood, the Bible says, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And when we're talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, we're not talking about sprinkling it on the Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle or in the Holy of Holies of, of the sanctuary of the Old Testament. We're talking about the blood of Christ being sprinkled on our hearts to cleanse not only our bodies from sin, but our minds and our hearts from sin. You do realize that you are saved when you're saved. We're not talking, of course, we're going to be saved from hell. I'm thankful for that. But we're, we're saved from the wrath of God. We are saved by God from God. Do you realize that? That God is coming. It's just as steadfast, as sure as the sun's going to set this afternoon. God is going to return. And when He returns, it's not going to be nice for a lot of people. I'm, I'm thankful for those that are saved. Of course, the rapture is going to take place for us first, and we'll be out of here. Then the second coming is, is going to take place. He's going to come back and put His foot on this ground. He's going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of that, there will be that judgment where we stand before not only the, the judgment seat or the bema seat of Christ as Christians, we'll stand before the bema seat of Christ, but the lost are going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And they'll give an answer to God for their sin. Remember what it says to the sprinkling of the blood. And if you have not had the sprinkling of the blood on your heart to forgive and to wash away and to cleanse you of your sin. And by the way, you're cleansed of not only the desire for sin, but the power of sin in our life. When we're lost, sin rules and reigns. It seems like the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? That's all in Romans chapter 7. When I would do good, evil is present with me. Uh, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. So then there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if we're in Christ, and the blood of Christ has been applied to our hearts, and we've been sanctified or set apart for the glory and honor of God, unto obedience it's the blood of Christ and the power of the Spirit that enables us to do what it is that God has commanded us to do, and that is obedience. And then it says in verse 2, that last sentence, 
It says grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Boy, don't you love the word grace. Grace, grace, marvelous grace, grace that is greater than all of my sin. Grace is unmerited favor. We talked about that in Sunday school a while ago. Grace, God doing something for us that we do not deserve, is the opposite, the flip side of the coin of mercy, God not giving us what we do deserve. What we do deserve is hell. What we do deserve is justice. What we do deserve is separation from God because of our sin, but because of the great love wherewith He loved us because of the mercy and the grace of God in our lives. God gives us not what we deserve, but He gives us what we do not deserve. And that is forgiveness. That is mercy. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy, remember, grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. Forgiveness, heaven, salvation. Mercy is God not giving you. And it's abundant mercy that He does not give us what we do deserve. Justice, wrath, hellfire, damnation. And according to His abundant mercy, He hath begotten us. You know what begotten is. So-and-so begat so-and-so. And there's a, there's a genealogy that runs through the book of Matthew in the first chapter. And in the book of Genesis, you can find it. And it's mind-numbing. It's just so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And it is a genealogy that just uh, seems like it will never end. But there's, there's important stuff there. But I want you to realize something. That us being begotten of God is the only method of salvation. Because I'm born again. Now that is literally what that means. That we have been begotten of God doesn't mean that my mother didn't give birth to me, but that God did. No, we must be born again, the Bible says. And Jesus in John, the Gospel of John chapter 3, speaking to a Jew, Nicodemus, that came to him by cover of night and, and asked him, saying basically the same thing in Sunday school that the rich young ruler did. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus answered him and said, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man uh, be born again, he can't even see. He can't even recognize or understand that there is a kingdom of God. He's spiritually dead, separated from God. That is is what? Spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation. Death is separation. Physical death, physical separation. You from your body. Spiritual death, separation from God. But unless you be born again, regenerated, new birth is what that says. He hath begotten us again. And because of that regeneration, because of that new birth, being born again, we have a lively hope. Are you living a hope that is lively? That other people can say, man, there's something different about that person. I'm not real sure what it is. I don't know what they have, but I want some of it. I can look in their eyes and I see a twinkle. I can I can follow them around town and I can see that they're enjoying their life. They're loving what they do. They're living a life that brings glory and honor to God. That's because it is a new life. It is a new birth. It is something that God has done on the inside of us. All things have passed away. All things are new. I, I realize that the most miserable person on the face of the earth is not a lost person. The most miserable person on the face of the earth is a Christian or a saved person that is not living the life God has given them to live. 
Do you understand that when we are living in sin as Christians, God will not allow you to have that lively hope and that joy and that happiness that goes along with being faithful to Christ. It says again, He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What does our new birth come from? The death of Christ. He died that I might live. He died, went to the cross, shed His blood. The wage of sin is death. What I owe God is a price. And the price that I owe God is my life. Not only my life here on this earth, but my eternal life. Never dying, ever living, but never coming to the point of death in a lake of fire separated from God. And God gave up heaven, put on flesh, became a man, lived a 33 year sinless perfect life in my stead. He did that for me. And then He went to the cross, shed His blood and died my death. I owe God a death. Oh, well you say, it's appointed unto man once to die. You're going to die, preacher. Yeah, that's a physical death. Well, Jesus Christ hung on the cross and He died a physical death. Yes, but the Bible says that He also, that ascended. What is it? That also He descended into the lower parts of the earth. What does that mean? That He went and preached the gospel to those that were in hell. And that He tasted not only physical death for me, but that He tasted my spiritual death. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is what he cried on the cross. And that forsaken was not when he died physically, but when he died physically, he also was separated from God the Father for the first time in eternity. God the Son. Eternal God the Son. That has eternally been with God the Father. Gave up not only his physical life as a man on a cross, but gave up His spiritual life when God the Father turned His back on His Son on the cross that we might have life. And that more abundantly. Do you understand that He has begotten, regenerated, gave us a new birth. And that new birth is unto a lively hope. And that lively hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you know whether you have a reservation in heaven? That reservation, by the way, was made from before the foundation of the world. Either you do or you don't. You don't find out until you bend the knee and bow the head and surrender your heart and life to Christ. And when God eliminate, illuminate, and regenerates you and wakes you up, draws you to Himself, and you feel the conviction of your sin, the weight, the guilt of your sin, and you surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then and then only, do you find out, boy, God knew His sheep from before the foundation of the world. My sheep, I know my sheep, and they know me, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, they come unto me. I didn't know I was His sheep, but He knew, and He came seeking me, and He found me right where I was. 36 years ago, He found me in a jail cell. Where were you? See, I'm just saying that all of us has sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us has fallen short. But it is God that reaches in our hearts and illuminates our minds and draws us out of whatever miry clay, out of whatever pit of sin that we found ourselves in. God came to us. We didn't come to Him. And He moves in our hearts and in our lives and draws us and gives us an inheritance. That inheritance was given to us in eternity past. 
But look at what it says. To an inheritance, and that inheritance that was given to us in eternity past was not based upon my goodness, but was based upon His faithfulness, and it is incorruptible. Some say you can be saved and lose your salvation. I say, oh, contrary. There is no way on this planet that I can lose what God gave me. I didn't earn it. I didn't purchase it. I wasn't good enough to deserve it. God chose me, moved in my heart, illuminated my mind, regenerated my soul, and saved me. And what He did, He did. Not what I did. I didn't, I didn't gain my salvation. And it is impossible for me to corrupt my salvation. The Bible says, My salvation is an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away and that it is reserved in heaven for you well verse 5 says the you continues you who are kept by the power of god through faith who is it if i got saved and i saved myself by my faith if faith was not a gift of god for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself it is a gift of god but what if it was not a gift of God. If it was my faith and I exercised my faith, I pulled my bootstraps up and I stood up like a man, stuck my chest out, and I did the right thing to gain my salvation. If that were true, then I could do the wrong thing later to lose what it was that I gained. But since my salvation was a gift of God, not of works, not of merit, but it was something that God did in me, because of the great love wherewith He had for me from before the foundation of the world. Now I am kept, not by my goodness. That's what it says, by the way, in Galatians chapter 2. Knowing, knowing that we are justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of, uh, of, of the flesh. For by the works of the flesh shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found to be sinners. Is God therefore the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto Christ. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness cometh by works, then Christ died for nothing, died in vain. Then in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Did you receive salvation? Did you receive forgiveness by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, the obvious answer. I didn't get saved by the works of the law. I got saved by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish then having begun in the Spirit? Being saved by faith, not by works. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now kept perfect by the flesh? If you got saved by God's grace, what makes you think you stay saved by the works of your flesh? You don't. You don't. You don't keep yourself saved any more than you get yourself saved. God is the author of salvation who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last days or at the last time. Now, you know, I I think I mentioned this. There are three types of salvation. I was saved, I'm being saved, and ultimately I will be saved. I was saved when I bend the knee and bowed the head and received Christ as my Lord and Savior. That was justification. And I was just if I were dead and in heaven right then at that moment as I ever will be. 
I was saved as I could be saved, possibly. But it also says that that word sanctification is that I'm continuing my salvation as I walk through this life, as I walk through this world. But my salvation will not be completed until glorification. Justification, sanctification, glorification. When I'm glorified is when I leave this body, I die, and I receive a new glorified body. And I get to go and to be in the very presence in the throne room of God with God. So I was saved, I'm being saved, and ultimately I will be saved. And that is what that means when it says who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Yes, I was saved. Yes, I am saved. But yes, ultimately I will be saved when I make it to heaven wherein greatly you rejoice. Do you rejoice in what it is that I'm talking about or is it, is it just gruel? You know, a lot of people hear the things that I'm saying and it's like Charlie Brown's teacher just womp, 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 womp. And it's not really registering. It's certainly not going deeper than the mind into the heart. It's not illuminating. It's not regenerating. It's not refreshing. It's really exasperating. And I'm ready, really, for that last 10 minutes to be done so I can get out of here and go home and do what it is that I want to do. My friend, I have a job that God has called me to do, and that is to share the truth with as many people as will listen. And the Bible says here that because of all of the things in verse 1 through 5, we greatly rejoice, even though, even, even though we're in a world that is full of sin and full of heartache and full of sorrow and full of death and, and all of the things that we're experiencing in our own homes and our own families and our own lives. We look around the world, we turn on the television, we see the turmoil that's going on not only in America but everywhere in the world that even Russia is turning on Russia. Wow, look at the woke crap, the stuff that's going on right here in our own neighborhoods. Parents telling their little boys and their little girls that they don't have to be a little boy, you can be a little girl. You don't have to be a little girl, you can be a little boy. And we can afford to get it done for you. Good Lord. You look at what it goes on to say. We, we greatly rejoice even though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Do you look around the world and just weep? Do you look around the world and just cry over what's happening? Not only in our nation, but in every nation. Not only the, around the world, but hey, what about in our own skin? Though you be in heaviness through manifold temptations, and certainly we still are human beings. We still are men, women, boys and girls that go out of this church into our world filled with some of the most horrible stuff you can imagine. And we rub up against it every day and see it. And sometimes are drawn to it. Because we're flesh. Because we're people. And we're tempted. And we struggle and we wrestle and we fight. And we pray and we beg God to strengthen us. And the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I wind up doing when I would do good. Evil is present with me.
How do you win that? When our greatest enemy is not Satan, our greatest enemy is not the world, our greatest enemy is ourselves. I've looked in the mirror and I've seen my enemy. He is me. And the old nature, the old flesh that lives on the inside of me, that raises himself up in my life, that draws me to the things of the world, the pleasures of the of this life, that draw me away from Christ. They're just as real in my life as they are in anybody else's. And if you deny it, then you're lying to yourself we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. First John. But it says here, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in manifold heaviness through temptations, that the trying or trial of your faith, you think this is, is by accident? That, that we go through this trial and the temptations and the things that are going on in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives, everything that's going on around us in the world, you look at that and you say, wow, wow why is this? If, if God is real, if God is love, if God is power, He can stop this in a heartbeat. Why doesn't He? Because the trying of your faith, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than the trying of gold, that perisheth. Oh, listen, gold, you heat it up, it burns away the dross. But you get it hot enough, and I'll guarantee you it'll evaporate. It's gone. But you see, what God is doing in us is more precious than silver and gold. He's building something. Not for you, for Himself. It's about His glory, not yours. It's about Him and not you, not us. It says the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth. Though, even though the gold be tried with fire, that your faith might be found under the praise and the glory and the honor of God at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, He's coming back. He came the first time. He's coming back the second time. They didn't believe He was coming back the first time. There are a myriad, a multitude of people who do not believe He's coming back the second time. They've been saying that stuff for 2,000 years. He ain't here yet. How long do you think there, there was in time on earth from Adam and Eve to when Jesus came? Oh, I know. It's been about 4,000 years. And there was a promise of His coming. Even back then, and it took 4,000 years for the Messiah to show up. It's only been half that time now. And we're already bored with Christianity and with, with religion. My friend, He's coming. The Bible says, I go that I might prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself. But I'm telling you, when He comes again, He's not coming for everybody. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Who? Who is you? Well, if He's going to prepare a place, He's coming back for a prepared people. You understand what that means? Our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience with the blood of Christ. We've fallen in love with a person, Jesus, the Son of God who died for us. And He's coming back in the praise. Our, our testimony 
that we have lived through this life as bad as it is, resisted temptation to the point that we can't. We've all failed. I failed. I'm glad that Jesus didn't fail on my behalf because I'm being judged by His work, not mine. But I'm living a life that brings glory and honor to Him. Not so I can get myself to heaven, but because I love Him. Now, if you love Him, you're going to live for Him. Don't tell me that you love Him if you're not living for Him. I put something on, on Facebook. It says, when, when, you, when you see people in church that are being disobedient or are not being obedient, what you're actually looking at is a lack of fear of God. The reason people are not obedient, the reason people are not faithful, is because they have a lack of fear and a lack of love for God. If they really loved Him the way they said, if they really feared Him the way they say, then they would be faithful to the God that they say they love and fear. Verse 8 and 9, and you'll have the message. Whom having not seen, you love. Do you love Him? Well, I don't know. I've never met Him. I've never seen Him. I can't taste Him, touch Him, feel Him. I I can't really say. Well, well... If you don't love Him, how can you believe in Him? And if you don't believe in Him, and I know that belief and faith are two different things. Faith is believing something to the point that you surrender your life to. I'm ready to give myself to this because I believe it to the point that it's worth everything that I am. Every ounce, every inch, every fiber of my being. Whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see Him not, yet believing, having faith, not just a head knowledge of the facts, believing, but a heart knowledge is faith and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Even though I've not seen Him, even though I've not experienced Him physically, I have met the Lord in a way that absolutely transformed my being, my life, everything. everything that I am is new. It's changed because of the life of one person, Jesus Christ. And then it says this, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You say, well, I got saved back 36 years ago. That was me. I'm continuing this walk down, you know, Christianity Lane called sanctification. And I'm trying to be the best that I can be by the power of God. I don't do very good, but I'm better than I used to be. Thank God for that. I was saved. I'm being saved. But one day I'll receive the end of my faith if my faith endures. Do you understand that when the Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us, surely if they were of us, they would have continued with us. Now that's, that's strong. That means people who say they got saved and are being saved and they got saved a year ago or five years ago and now they're still you know, coming to church, but, but somewhere down the line they finally... They just start missing Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and then all of a sudden it's like the Alcoholics are Christian, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, and then they disappear, and you don't see them. 
And you say, well, I know that they were saved because I, I saw them get baptized. I saw them make a profession of faith. I saw them live the life and, and come to church and read their Bible and sing the songs and, and do all the outward things that Christians are, are supposed to do. Yes, but they didn't cross the finish line. They went out. They quit. They stopped. Did they just lose their salvation? No. It's an evidence that they never actually had it. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. But that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. They went out. They left. My friend, that's what it, that's what it boils down to. Running the race and fighting the fight. Living the life. Bringing glory and honor to God. Not because it gets you to heaven, but because you love Him. And because I love Him, I can't stop. I can't quit. I can't go back. I can't be who I used to be. I can only be and only strive to be what it is that God has called me to be. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. sticks in my throat when I think about me being acceptable to God. I can't. But I dang sure try. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love. You who loves the unlovable. God, help us to love the only thing that is really worth our lives, our souls, our love, our dedication, our commitment. God, help us to be more submissive and surrendered to Your will than we've been in the past. God, we'll give You the praise and the glory for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.